it's so important. It's just so absolutely important, not just for us to speak about the issues that directly affect WAO, but also to claim that space, to claim that public space and fill it with the kind of positive messaging that we need to see, that we need to, to, to promote so that we can build a better society and a stronger society, a more inclusive and a more equal society for all of us. This is the Good Intentions Podcast by Women's Aid Organization. Hello 2021, this is Samitra Viswanathan, the Executive Director of Women's Aid Organization. Everything out there right now in review of 2020 seems to be about the doom and gloom. As we ring in 2021, we at WAO would like to go for something completely different. We want to focus on what was good and what we can make better in 2021. At WAO, we're about empowerment. For decades, we have supported women to find their path in the dark during the worst times of their lives, to go within their hearts and minds, to dig deep and bring out the light of hope and the brightness of self-love. Together, WAO and our survivors are always on a journey to find and protect that special shining star, that energy that represents all that we want and need for a big beautiful life. We light it up and we are guided by it. So let's try doing that with a quick review of 2020, bring that energy to the year that went before and see how we can build on opportunities to together make Malaysia a better country for women moving into the future. In 2020, we expanded our work and reach tremendously. This was both planned and in response to the increased need that we were confronted with. For instance, our WA hotline and TINA WhatsApp crisis service saw an exponential increase, which continues to this day. In 2019, both our crisis hotlines addressed 3,333 cases. And in 2020, that more than doubled to 7,067 cases. So this placed us at the forefront of response and advocacy for the pandemic-induced rise in gender-based violence. This was recognized locally in Malaysia and also internationally, and media reached out to WAO frequently as the Malaysia gendered experts. The government is also a very important partner for WAO, for instance, we are part of the government's legislation drafting committees for new gender protective laws. We also sit on advisory committees around gender and women's rights. And then most importantly, during the pandemic, the health ministry and the national security committees crisis response mechanism, the CPRC, also included WAO and we brought our technical expertise to inform not just policy but also responses. Also in 2020, we were supported by no less than six international organizations 
And in this way, we implemented pandemic-related projects. Now, these organizations were United Nations Women, the International Labour Organization, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, UNFPA, United Nations University, and UNICEF. We were also featured in UN Women's Spotlight Initiative, and this is a global media project on local organizations working on the ground to address violence against women and girls during the pandemic. So I want to talk about how WA worked to improve the legal framework for women and girls in Malaysia, how we worked to also improve women's access to justice and protection in spite of the various restrictions related to COVID. And most importantly, or, or just as important, what we did to try and uh, reform and change the culture and thinking around gender equality and women's rights in Malaysia. So let's look at first improving the legal framework for women and girls in Malaysia. Our approach, it's a proven approach, has been evidence-based advocacy. WAO provides shelter, crisis support services, and women's economic empowerment programs. And through these services, we collect critical data. This, this data is also further supported by WAO's research, and the research is based around the realities faced by women in Malaysia. On the basis of what we know and learn, on the basis of this evidence, we directly engage with policymakers and we build campaigns to educate the public on the need for law and policy reform. In 2020, we produced quite a lot of impactful research and policy briefs around gender equality and gender-based violence, and I just want to highlight here six of uh, the most impactful research reports that we did. These research reports and policy briefs are available to you on the WAO website at www.wao.org.my. So first, around the federal budget in October, budget 2021, we produced a policy brief called A Better Country for Women. And on the basis of this policy brief, we engage with not just the finance ministry, but also uh, other ministries of concern. And we made recommendations for federal budget 2021, which resulted in specific budget allocations for domestic violence and we are just super stoked about that. So there's also a piece of research that we did in collaboration with research firm Vaz.ai. It's called Understanding Malaysians' Experiences of Stalking. And we found that 36% of Malaysians have experienced stalking and this stalking caused them fear. So in terms of prevalence, stalking, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty up there when it comes to criminal activities. So the idea of this research report was as evidence for our advocacy to lobby for stalking to be criminalized and to be included as a crime in the penal code. Um, we also looked at discrimination in the in the workplace. This again was in collaboration with research firm Vaz.ai and the research is entitled Malaysian Perspective on Discrimination in the Workplace. 
This found that 56% of Malaysian women have experienced gender-based discrimination at work. 56%, that's pretty high, yeah? So we also uh, dipped our toes into um, the healthcare response. Our first research report on public health implications of domestic violence is entitled Strengthening the Primary Healthcare Response to Domestic Violence because frequently when women are survivors of domestic violence, they go to the primary healthcare system to seek treatment and that is an important window, entry point, opportunity for that first response to be done. So in recognition of that, we are also moving our advocacy into the area of public health. There was, uh, we produced a policy brief supported by the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees entitled Sexual and Gender-Based Violence Among Refugee Communities in Malaysia. With that, we also worked with a, an international research firm called Rights On, supported by UNICEF. And that research looks at strengthening child-friendly practices in the National Human Rights Institution of Malaysia, that is Suhakam, uh, which also encompasses the Office of the Children's Commissioner. So all of this research doesn't just sit there in nice PDFs on our website. We actively use and leverage the evidence and the findings and the analysis to move forward our lobbying and advocacy. Um, so again, I want to give you just a really quick rundown of some of the impacts that we achieved from our research. Number one, the government included 21 million ringgit for domestic violence centers in the federal budget for 2021. Um, secondly, the Public Health Institute or IKU committed to include domestic violence prevalence and understanding in the 2022 National Health and Morbidity Survey. Now, this is really important because at the present time, the only indication we have of prevalence of domestic violence in Malaysia is from a research done in 2014 by University Science Malaysia's Kanita Center, and that found 9% of ever-partnered women have previously or are currently experiencing domestic violence. So it's super important that we have a more comprehensive and up-to-date understanding of what exactly is the prevalence of domestic violence in Malaysia. Number three, um, the National Domestic Violence Committee that was set up a few years ago, it remained functional and uh, useful in collaboration even after the change of government and even through the pandemic. Fourthly, a working committee was established under the Prime Minister's office to finalize the draft legal amendment to create harassment and stalking as offenses under the penal code and they prepared a cabinet paper. Fifth, the new government committed to tabling uh, the sexual harassment bill. You know, we're hoping, we were hoping that it would be tabled in March, but, you know, as, as we all know, there's been issues around when Parliament is likely to next sit. So, um, yeah. Number six, the new government committed to tabling amendments to the Employment Act. 
including amendments to create paternity leave and to prohibit discrimination against employees on the basis of gender. This is also extremely important amendment to the Employment Act, which needs to be tabled and passed as soon as possible by Parliament. The Ministry of Women, Family and Community Development, or KPWKM, prepared a draft revision of the National Interagency Domestic Violence Guidelines. Now, this is the garis panduan untuk menangani kes keganasan rumah tangga. But they first came out in 2015, and ha- as time has moved on from the collaborations and talking and sharing Everyone who is involved in the domestic violence response, whether NGO or government agency, we have all identified areas that need to be improved and gaps that need to be filled. So that revision is extremely important. These guidelines uh, not just indicate to the public and what is their right to expect, uh, when it comes to domestic violence response, but it also gives guidance to the various government agencies and NGOs that have a frontline role to play. And finally, the Dewan Rakyat established a select committee on women, children, and social welfare. So recently, there's been uh, quite a bit of controversy about the selection of certain MPs to sit on this select committee. But from what we understand, from the media, it appears that this situation is likely to be resolved. So all of that uh, addresses the issue of substance, the legal framework, substantively what is in place to protect the rights of women and girls in Malaysia. So next, let's look at structures. Let's look at how women's access to justice and protection improved. And I want to talk to you about WAO's role in this. So again, I want to remind you that we handle individual cases and the individual cases that we support are through various services like shelter, social work, our various hotlines, and also women's programs. So what does an individual case mean? An individual case is where a woman who has approached us, usually through our hotlines, and she describes a situation related to gender-based violence or gender discrimination, and we undertake to support her. An individual case can also come to WAO's attention through referrals by members of the public, other civil society groups, or government agencies. So when that happens, when it's a referral, then we engage directly with the woman, with the survivor, and we undertake to support her in various ways. So that is what an individual case means. So while providing services to individual cases, we learn We learn what women's experiences are. We learn where the gaps are in service, where the gaps are in the law, and also very importantly, where the gaps are in implementation of laws and policies that are already in place. So from this learning, we seek to build the capacity of enforcement officers and first responders. And in 2020, we managed to do this uh, quite extensively, particularly in Selangor. 
So this is a two-pronged approach. Just to explain to you again, we handle individual cases, which then helps us understand women's lived realities. We document those lived realities. And then we channel that not just into advocacy, like what I spoke about earlier, but also into uh, programs that we want to put in place to build capacity. So this means training programs with frontliners. So we tackle barriers to women's access by training enforcement officers and first responders. This is done by our capacity building team. Uh, they use proven methods. They build knowledge, uh, knowledge for um, uh, enforcement officers and first responders around gender issues and strengthen their capacity to better respond to women and girls survivors of violence and discrimination. So again, just to repeat, this is a two-pronged approach. The first thing is ensuring access to justice and protection for individual women survivors, and that's the micro-level change. And then the experience and knowledge that we gain sharpens, sharpens our strategic lobbying and advocacy with government agencies and also capacity building um, with agencies like police, welfare, and health authorities, and that leads to macro-level changes. So all of this needs to be accompanied by cultural change, change in knowledge and perceptions that we as the Malaysian public have towards uh, gender equality, gender-based violence, and the need to end discrimination and violence against women and girls in Malaysia. We need a change in attitudes at both the individual and community levels. So we, we focus quite a lot of our resources on this, and we have a dedicated team to do just this. Our partnerships team, they don't just move forward WAO's work by bringing in support from, from donors and the public, but they also engage in uh, impactful and often award-winning public awareness campaigns together with our advocacy team through traditional and our, um, our social media platforms. We have curated collaborations with artists, uh, targeted partnerships with companies and influencers, and together we try to shape perceptions and end stereotypes. We address gender-based violence and discrimination, including everything from domestic violence to pregnancy discrimination to child marriage. In 2020, our media mentions were extensive. In 2019, it was, I believe, more than 750 media mentions per year. And that means that every day there were more than two mentions of WAO in all media. And uh, in 2020, that was probably a lot more, though we haven't actually done the detailed analysis yet. But we did have an average of at least two media appearances by WAO each day, reaching hundreds of thousands of media consumers with our messaging. So via our social media platforms, we reached an average of 149,000 interactions each month. It's so important. It's just so absolutely important, not just for us to speak about the issues that directly affect WAO, but also to claim that space 
to claim that public space and fill it with the kind of positive messaging that we need to see, that we need to, to, to promote so that we can build a better society and a stronger society, a more inclusive and a more equal society for all of us. By supporting a total of 9,668 women in 2020, again, we don't just impact those individual women's lives, hopefully for the better, but we have the data, we analyze that data and we put it out. So we'd like to say that our voice is authentic uh, as we speak with the voices of survivors and, you know, just taking a, a, a sort of very cursory analysis of what occurred in 2020, I feel that the authenticity of our voice has really brought a lot of, has, sh has shown quite a lot of the spotlight on the issues that we represent. And, and I feel that, you know, we have really worked to improve government's response on domestic violence during the MCO, directly engaged with policymakers. Uh, and also we did quite a lot of public awareness. And I think that by so doing, the public responses to some of the gaps and missteps by the government during the, the pandemic when it comes to addressing issues around domestic violence, when it comes to addressing issues around violence against women and gender-based discrimination. That was that was very positive. So so thank you, Malaysian public, for adding your voice to ours. So what we saw, we saw the National Security Council releasing public messaging on domestic violence. They also had two statements to the media and one mass SMS. PDRM in Bukit Aman issued two statements to the media to clarify that survivors can contact the police and survivors can indeed leave the house to escape abuse. This was during the MCO. Thirdly, key protection mechanisms were clarified by government agencies, including that uh, the one-stop crisis centers in public hospitals were indeed operational to address violence against women, uh, police investigations were to carry on as normal, and interim protection orders for survivors of domestic violence can still be issued. So we also then issued a statement to publicize these points and to make sure that it got out, all, out there to all who needed to know. KPWKM put together a task force to coordinate public messaging on domestic violence. And this was in response to some quite unfortunate public messaging that they had put out, uh, sexist public messaging that they had put out in the early days of the pandemic. Uh, you may remember that whole Doraemon scandal. Finally, there has indeed been a significant increase in public awareness on domestic violence. So how do we measure this? We, we look at the large increase in the number of survivors that have contacted WAO. So it's either inquiries to our hotline Antina, also, you know, the increased sharing of our messaging uh, on on, on social media, and also the emails uh, and direct messages that WAO has received from the public. And most importantly, also, our data has been cited widely by, public, by the public and also policy stakeholders. 
we at WAO, we recognize that we have an increasingly critical role and an increasing familiarity in the national psyche as the gender experts. And we really need to continually upscale and improve our standards and the credibility of our evidence. We need to constantly up our game. So I hope that this has been uplifting and that uh, it has, you know, helped build optimism in all of us that actually, you know what, we did pretty good in 2020 and there's so much out there that we need to build on so that we can improve our lives, build better in 2021 so that we can make Malaysia a better country, not just for women, but for all of us. Thank you so much. Bye. This is the Good Intentions Podcast by Women's Aid Organization.